Welcome to Comic Culture. Your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across mediums and multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics. I'm Trey. This is Jojo. And I'm Petey. Thanks for joining us this week. We're going to start with a couple of updates on comics in the news, followed by our Canadian corner, our resident Canadian Jojo is going to break down a few of our favorite heroes who just happen to be from the land up north. Then we'll talk about Jupiter's Legacy volumes three and four, break down House of M, all eight issues, as well as setting our expectations for the Snyder Cut, which were released today, and Falcon and Winter Soldier, which comes out tomorrow. Updates about us. We are officially on Spotify. Our first episode was on there. Uh, we are going to be called the comic culture underscore club on there. Um, reason for that, it's kind of a book, uh, book club format with this podcast. We like using that so that, you know, you can find us and you can kind of follow us along with the stories. Um, and then also just look for Thor's hammer. Uh, there's a couple of people that have similar handles. So we want to make sure that we are, um, able to be found on there. We're also coming up on hundred Instagram followers, not too shabby. And uh, we've also got in our profile on Instagram, we have what's called a link tree app, which a quick click there will lead you to uh, three other links. One where you can find our Spotify podcast. It'll open right in the app. Another that'll take you to Tee Public, where you can buy some merchandise with our logo. And a third, which will take you to a website called Substack. And that's where we are posting our character analysis blogs. So real quick, we've got Snyder Cut coming out today. Uh, in honor of that, one of my personal heroes, Todd McFarlane, has released for pre-order a series of action figures designed after the Snyder Cut characters, which are distinctly different in a couple of ways from the original release of Snyder Cut. Um, I think the word that Jojo used was uh, bedazzled and fabulous for <laughs> Superman. Uh, he's in a black suit. If you, uh, Unless you're hiding under a rock, you've probably seen this. And his the Superman S does appear to have a glittery silver look to it. So... Keep an eye out. Those are up for pre-order. It looks like it was designed by Gucci. But it's still only like $24.99, so that's the silver lining there. <clears throat> a couple of other crossovers. Uh, Fortnite, the new season release. I believe it's season chapter two. What is it? Season two, chapter six. They're very confusing. They make it as confusing as humanly possible. But one of the crossover skins is uh, Teen Titans' favorite raven she's pretty cool check it out we're going to post about her tomorrow uh, if you are curious how you can get that skin we'll break it down in the instagram post and then next week uh my personal favorite and i'm probably gonna talk about this every episode until we until it comes out at least uh invincible drops next week friday i believe the 26th and it's going to be a one-time drop all the episodes for season one are going to come out at the same time so binge away uh, any thoughts on that anything else you guys want to add no, I'm getting pretty excited for Invincible. That's all I've got to say. Awesome. All right. And then on a personal note, a recommendation, if anybody's looking for something to watch on Netflix, there is a superhero show. It is probably technically an anime, uh, but does avoid some of the anime tropes that you might want to um, watch out for. It's a little more of a mainstream show. It's called Tiger and Bunny. And don't let that scare you. It is actually one of my favorite shows I've ever found. It's only one season right now. Um, but it's about two superheroes who work together. It combines kind of a game show with corporate sponsorships with, you know, why are we heroes in the first place? So really cool show. Highly recommend. 
about 23 episodes, I think. So pretty good chunk for just a show with one season. They're like half an hour episodes or? Yeah, like with anime, they're like 22 minutes, but they've got a three minute intro, a four minute outro. So, you know, if you if you wanted, you could watch like 28 episodes in one day. I don't know that I recommend it, but it is humanly possible. <laughs> so, but it is a quick watch. It's not. It is a quick watch. Yeah, it's not long. And it, and it has like an interesting, most anime will have like a, a mid-season point where they'll take a break and then the second half of the season will even have like a different intro so it does kind of feel like two separate seasons and the theme changes dramatically at that point as well so it's it's pretty cool cool well to commemorate my two years here in canada here soon um, i'm going to be doing the character spotlight on the greatest canadian superheroes and so it's probably pretty obvious, but number one and number two, for me, it's Deadpool, then Wolverine. And then three, I'm gonna pick with, go with North Star. Um, so something cool about North Star is that he is the first openly gay Marvel character in the comics. Um, and they even have like, in, in uh, one of the series, they like show the wedding ceremony, which I thought was, was pretty awesome. So he's got super speed and flight um, and the ability to harness and project photonic energy blasts. Um, so similar to like Captain Marvel or even Photon or uh, Monica Rambeau. Um, and then some quick facts, like we obviously love and know Deadpool and, and Ryan Reynolds who plays him so well. And then Wolverine who's also played so well by Hugh Jackman. Um, but something interesting is that Wolverine was born in Cold Lake, Alberta, which is uh, north of Edmonton. So it's like five hours from where I live. And my wife actually used to go up there during the summers and would like water ski and stuff. So got some personal connection <laughs> to Wolverine. About as close of a connection you can get to a fictional character. <laughs> yes. And then Deadpool, even though in the comics it doesn't say it, we do get like a little spoof about it in the Deadpool movies. And he says that he's from Regina, which yes, is a real place. That's where my, my mother-in-law is from. Is that how she pronounces it? Yes, it's pronounced Regina. Yes. Wait, I don't I get it. What's so funny, guys? No, we'll explain it hey, later. Ryan, it rhymes with fun, right? That's exactly what Deadpool says. So you know exactly why Ryan Reynolds picked that place to be, to be the uh, origin of, of Deadpool, the birthplace of Deadpool. And on another note, there's actually just a suburb outside of Calgary here where I live called Balzac. Yep, so uh, Canada is, I hope those that are listening and are from Canada, um, aren't too offended but yeah it's just kind of like what are you guys thinking yeah, all <laughs> press all press is good press right <laughs> yes exactly and, and ryan reynolds himself is actually from vancouver i think yeah he is he's from vancouver um and then just kind of just quick facts so canada does have their version of of the avengers it's called alpha flight and it's led by captain canuck which as you probably guessed, <laughs> is the Canadian version of Captain America. Um, and then one interesting one that I actually quite liked was Sasquatch, which is like the equivalent of Hulk. And it's cool because he's connected to Bruce Banner in the fact that he was actually wanting to get the same results as Bruce Banner becoming the Hulk. 
The difference is that a portal opened up and he was given the title of the beast, um, but he got to retain his intelligence, which is awesome. So he's just this big, hairy, Bigfoot Hulk, basically. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Sasquatch is actually a pretty cool looking character for you know what he what it is. I mean, it could have gone real bad. That's actually <laughs> a pretty cool way to to kind of give that team a Hulk type force. I mean, really, you're not a superhero team if you don't have a giant, monstrous, strong guy, right? Yeah, 100%. And when I first, when you read Sasquatch, you're thinking of, like, Sasquatch from the, the Slim Jim commercials. Um, so like <laughs> Equally awesome. Parody. It's guys like <laughs> that guy on steroids. Kind of so. Those are some great commercials, though. Man. All right. Cool. Well, thank you, JoJo. That was awesome. Uh, we uh, probably won't have a Canadian corner every week, but we'll be sure <laughs> to keep you guys posted on all things superhero and all things Canadian. For all of our international fans from Canada, because I'm sure we've got uh, one. <laughs> Joe's <laughs> yeah. wife. JoJo's wife. <laughs> I hope so. All right. So we're going to kind of dive right into Jupiter's legacy. Uh, we're going to talk about volumes three and four here today which the structure of the show is going to be a little unusual. I believe they are going to follow three and four with flashbacks intermittently to volumes one and two. And as we discussed, last year, yeah, one and two is a prequel series that was written after the fact, um, several years after the fact. So impressive that there were really no continuity issues. Um, I, I was pretty much begging you guys to read this. I appreciate that you did. I want to kind of just get your, thoughts what were you expecting after having read one and two and and were those expectations met or how did it differ and uh pete you want to go first yeah so i think um i mean overall i honestly like 10 out of 10 this was the section i was most excited about to talk about i thoroughly enjoyed this book or this series i should say um one of the things i will say that i think uh was different from what i was expecting um you had mentioned to me that it was going to be pretty gritty um, and so when I think gritty, I think like uh, Red Hood or like Deadpool or some of these kind of darker characters that have super graphic, um, graphic arcs. And I wasn't gritty in that sense. Um, what I really enjoyed about this, and we can kind of get into it more, um, is the fact that it really talks about legacy, which makes sense in the title. Um, but in the first two issues, I really didn't understand what was happening in the first two volumes. And then three and four, I finally got where this legacy was coming from. So I think my biggest thing is the idea of seeing um, kind of where things go. I'll put the spoiler alert out there now. Um, I was just so fascinated. We can kind of bounce back and forth on this. Um, where you see Chloe's arc and seeing her take on the role of Lady Liberty. Um, and then you see basically, you see her become Lady Liberty. Um, and then you see Sky Fox's arc with the passing of George Hutchinson to um, Hutch Hutchinson. Mr. Hutchins, I can't say, I'm saying that right. Hutch, yeah. Hutch, yeah, Hutch. First of all, also, Hutch's little baton thing that he uses is like the coolest, simple flashlight weapon ever. He can use it to teleport. He can use it to teleport itself as a weapon. It's like, it was awesome. Um, but no, overall, I think the whole idea of the legacy was just so cool. And then you see that contrasted with Brandon Sampson and basically his complete rejection of anything heroic um, because he wants to do the world his way. So, I mean, that's my start out to this is just the amount of legacy that's created and the fact that you see these characters really respect uh, the original original characters um, 
and the fact that you care about these characters too i mean it's only four volumes and yet you fall in love with them so quick which i like when utopian died i was like what like it was just so shocking to me and so like heart-wrenching and it shouldn't have been i was reading him for what maybe 10 15 issues so it was just it was really cool well and just imagine if had you not had you read it when it first came out and you had not read the prequel series you didn't get the build-up i mean let's put it this way Josh Duhamel is not going to have a lot of screen time. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a pretty big spoiler for those listening at home. What, what about you, Joe? Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, this is really the first comic that I've ever read. Like, it's the, the very first. So as far as what I was expecting, maybe it's on a totally different scale, obviously, to, to you guys who, who have read comics. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I will say that I wish that the characters were fleshed out more, like you got to know them more. Because yeah. as as PD says um, on Chloe, right? Like you really, really connect with her. I connected with her on such a personal level, um, not to, to the extent where I was doing <laughs> what she was doing, but you know, just the rebellious teenage stage in life. And then you kind of just grow into this more mature role and realize that you can change as as a person right hers was obviously a more dramatic change due to obviously her death of her father and and her uncle and her brother taking over the world um so i i do wish there was a little bit of that but at the same time i think that gives me kind of hope and more excitement for the series because obviously the series is going to dive deeper into the development of each of these characters i hope so yeah yeah no, i totally agree i totally agree guys that's, that's a lot of my takeaways and a couple of the notes that i had one i think we talk about the difference between an independent comic and more of a mainstream comic um we hit on this a little bit with invincible last week these you, you get this feeling that over at, at image comics and, and top mcfarland and all these other guys that are writing independently they have a lot more creativity there's a lot they can do a lot more but it does come at the cost of a little less polish and, and occasionally more plot holes. And, and we will go into a couple of those. It's obviously nothing groundbreaking. I mean, Peter, Pete still gave it a 10 out of 10. So uh, clearly still a phenomenal book. But again, maybe missing that last layer of shine that you're going to get out of your average Spider-Man comic. And, and that comes from the, the scope of these companies is significantly smaller. Um I really like how it's not quite as in your face. It trusts the reader to make a lot more connections than say Superman or Spider-Man. I mean, I love Spider-Man. If I have to hear with great power comes great responsibility one more time, I may put the book down. And what's cool is Jupiter's legacy takes a similar approach. I mean, it opens with essentially uh, Chloe overdoses, goes to the hospital, find out she's pregnant. Up until this point, she's a socialite who, under the pressures of her parents, feels like she's got to blaze her own trail and chooses to do so by partying and making money. Um, She's met with this fact that she's pregnant. She goes to her equally kind of rebellious boyfriend, son of a superhero, who chose to deal drugs. They're met with this opportunity to accept responsibility. And what does he do? Hutch goes to the utopian and says, hey, I know you don't like me. I know you want me to step away from your daughter. The fact is there's a kid on the way and I wanted to ask you, what if I, what if I left this life behind and became a better man? I mean, so right there, we got the, with great power comes yeah. great responsibility with, you know, that opportunity to grow. And, you know, the, re- the author trusted us as readers to make that connection. And that really, I think 
is Chloe's arc is okay. She grows up enough when she's pregnant to do the right thing and take care of her child. Okay. The next step, the stakes get a little bit higher. She grows up a little bit more. She takes things to the next level. And then ultimately assuming the role of lady Liberty, when that responsibility presents itself. So it's a very fluid and organic level up to being a superhero, not just, Oh, I got, and I, again, I love Spider-Man, but I'm 12. I got bit by a spider. My uncle died. I'm a superhero. You know, that's not, that's not the trajectory. And I think that's why Joe said he could relate to her on such a, on such a deep level. And yeah. I think it goes back to, I think we touched about this last week of the Jupiter's legacy does an amazing job of showing that good people can do terrible things and terrible people can do good things. Right. I mean, you look at the utopian and for how much of a mirror image he is to Superman, he is so flawed and he's so blinded almost by this ideology of being so perfect that it drives his kids insane. Right. And I think that that's the that's the reality of life sometimes is you could have perfect parents and that perfection in itself or them being almost too good could cause issues with how you go along parenting your children. As, as I was reading when Hutch does go to the utopian, you know, kind of being super humble and trying to change his life around, instead of the utopian kind of accepting him with open arms, he's just like, eh, no, I don't. My daughter. This, this, this can't happen and it won't really happen, right? And I think that that's, that's realistic. I think as a parent, you, you kind of, don't believe the I guess the younger generation as you want to say and you can get caught up in your own um kind of morals to the effect that it actually detrimental to your own character yeah one thing I thought was one thing I wanted to dissect a little bit more was was Hutch actually um obviously Chloe's kind of the star of this but Hutch for me was a relatable character um other theories I'm the I'm the only one with uh actually now yeah Trey's got it too now with the kid and that, that announcement of having a kid on the way is like, it's just, it, it blows your mind, right? And so I think Hutch really lives up to that, that like failing of responsibility, like, like Trey was talking about that Chloe had too. And so it's like, I mean, we're all married. We all have that same thing. It's like, you take on these, these adult roles of being, being a husband and then being a father and it kind of rocks your world. Um, and Hutch just steps up to every, everything the best way he can and be kind of, I mean, I don't think any of us dr- did any drug dealing, but I think we all had our childhood little things that we had to get rid of. And um, I guess reading comics wasn't one of them, <laughs> but um, we all had those things we had to get rid of. And uh, I think it's really cool to see him take on that role. And then not just then, but then again, he feels so uncomfortable when he, when Chloe's like, hey, take on the role of Sky Fox. You need to do it. Someone needs to take on that role. And he's like, I'm not worthy of this. And there's this dialogue between them where she's like, well, no one really is, but you have to assume the role because they need it out there. Um, and I think that's what I really like. I think during the first two volumes, I was so disappointed in the heroes. And I was like, what is Trey making me read? He knows I'm a huge Superman fan. I like I like characters. I don't mind that they're a little more morally ambiguous, but I like seeing them have this hope and instill that hope. I didn't get it from the first two, even with Utopian. Uh, I just felt this like there's such a dark undertone. Whereas this, I feel like there's this dark overtone but with this undertone of hope that just seeps through and through all the characters. Yeah. And you, you hit on that perfectly. I mean, you've got this, the utopian who the, on the surface is perfect. I mean, to the point where his ex-wife left him, right. Because she couldn't live with that 
continual perfection. And I know we've all heard this, um, you know, through our similar upbringings, but, you know, no success in work or other aspects of your life can compensate for failure in the home, right? I think the utopian is this incredible example of that. The guy has literally achieved more than basically all of humanity combined. And there's this scene where Brandon fails at saving some people and says like something to the effect of, um, I bet you consider me your greatest failure and like kind of all de dejected and flying away. The utopian basically says, uh, no, you both are. I mean, the guy knows he failed as a parent because he was so focused on being what the world needed that he didn't provide his family with what they needed. And I think as a parent, I look at that and I think, obviously this is not in the panels, but I think this is probably a guy who as a father was afraid to be vulnerable and let his kids see that he makes mistakes. So what do you have? You have two kids that have superpowers and chose to just go a completely different route because following in your footsteps was so intimidating. Instead of saying, hey, Brandon, come here. Hey, I messed up at work today. I could have saved way more people, but I made a bad decision or I thought I was too rash or I didn't trust my teammates. I'm guessing those conversations didn't happen. And as a result, Brandon grew up kind of continually feeling like a failure and ultimately really going down a dark path. Whereas Chloe met with a similar fate, you know, a similar upbringing. We've talked about a little bit, chooses to kind of go a different route when given the opportunity. Um, so I, again, I think this is an awesome example of how can we take comic book characters who are hyperboles of different personalities and learn from them? And this is probably one of the ones I've learned from the most uh, it would be the utopian and his family dynamics in Jupiter's legacy. I will say this. Does anybody know where Jupiter comes from? I was thinking the same thing. And I've tried, I've racked my brain trying to figure out why it's Jupiter. And I could not figure it out. I have no idea. I, I wasn't, that wasn't like some pop quiz. Like you, you mentioned the legacy thing and I was like, oh, that makes total sense. But I never got the Jupiter thing. I mean, I guess yeah, here's, here's now I think it might've come to me. We know that Jupiter in Roman mythology is basically Zeus, right? Is that my off on my mythology there? Or one of the big, big gods of the mythology. Okay. And so utopians kind of that same way. We look to our superheroes in modern myths. And so this is now coming to me that they are the legacy of basically uh, the modern gods. I mean, you've got Lady Liberty, who's an analog to Wonder Woman, who's an analog to Aphrodite and Athena and all of these Greek gods. And so that's where I'm thinking it's coming from is their legacies to gods, basically. Well, he um, does look like Zeus and he has a bunch of children who are failures. So I actually think that that's a that's a really good connection. You just made that right now. I, I, it's been like thinking about it for a while but then once you start talking about it finally click so thank the the podcast gods for giving it to me now that's actually pretty that's pretty impressive what i was thinking is, is it's just open-ended right because there's so much more that that um mark miller can, can write about and one of those things that's open-ended was the moon of jupiter wasn't it and he found yeah. that transmitter and we have no idea where that's going or what why that was significant or if it is significant right because there were a few callbacks that make you think okay this is going to come up but then it never did right? yeah well that was one of my questions so you know, it's a great point i had forgotten about that because it didn't come up again but linearly the way it was written was three four one two so that was kind of at the end of the most recently written thing so to jojo's point there's there's a decent chance that they move forward with some kind of semi-prequel continuation there but what are your expectations for um a continuation there is a volume five announced and i believe the title was 
uh, why do we love our children so much? But that was, I, I think, announced in like 2014, and I was not able to find it anywhere. So what, what do you guys think is going to happen next? So I thought about this today, and I'm going to be honest with you. I am very concerned um, because, yeah, so here's my thing. The reason why I think it's so good is because it's so self-contained in those volumes. And so my worry is, where are they going to go with it? Is Are they going to end up falling into the tropes of, I mean, the other things you see in comics? Don't get me wrong. I love comics in general. But right now, I mean, when a character dies in DC or Marvel, you'll see them within a year or two. Like, they're not going to stay dead. Utopian's not coming back. <laughs> like, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my thing is it's like with them expanding this out and kind of starting this whole new thing, I just, I worry them falling into the typical things instead of continuing to go, go that route. Hopefully I'm surprised. I don't want to be like a negative person on it. I still, I'm excited. I'm going to read it obviously. Um, but I'm just, I'm going into it with this idea. I'm a DC fan. So I take everything lightly because you never know if you're going to get an A plus or get some, uh, you might get a Wonder Woman 84. So (laughs) in the words of, uh, in the words of vision, uh, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. So I think you hit on something great there is that sometimes shorter is better. Yeah. Uh, what, What about you, Joe? Joe? Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think there is some beauty in it. I think us as human beings, we want to know the answer to everything. And so there are huge, huge plot holes, right? So at the end of technically volume three and four, which are, are the, the prequels, right? We are kind of left wondering where did these other superheroes come from? That miracle, that group. Yeah, that so sorry, volume one and two. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, one and two, the prequels. That, that group that Miracle Girl joined, how did they get their superpowers? And how is it that there's so many superheroes towards the end of the series right and i cannot believe that you know the founding superheroes were the ones that conceived all of those superheroes that's that that's um <laughs> that's got to be some kind of record hey I'm not sure. jupiter, I'm not jupiter sure. and zeus jupiter and zeus yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will Very say true. yeah i will nice. say if they put it to the page i'm not sure i want to read that comic about how they make all those children because <laughs> I guess, you know, maybe you're reading it for the plot, but <laughs> that's a yeah, great I question, though. I will say, I, I, after reading a couple of independent comics that are, that are still relatively self-contained, um, and then another one of my favorite runs that is even still relatively self-contained, despite being a, a Spider-Man Marvel property, and that's Ultimate Spider-Man, um, but that Ultimate Spider-Man run and Infinite, or excuse me, Invincible are two of my favorite runs, and they each run about 130 to 150 issues, um, and they, they kind of end. And I really, I think that that is a really, really good space to operate in. Is 100, 100 to 150 episodes is is kind of where you can go and you can develop stuff out. But then if you cut it hard, you know, people aren't coming back from the grave, and you know, Superman's not getting up again. I think you can have a powerful story that also has a lot of 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 weight to it as well. So that's just my personal opinion. I think Invincible runs 130 and then Spider-Man runs like 160 before things change up a lot. So that, that's kind of a thought there. If they did do 50 to 60 more issues, it might still have that kind of that short feel, but I agree. I think it's kind of cool that it just ends and man, we have no idea what the, the alien transponder was and we'll probably never know. It's kind of cool. So one other thing I want to mention on Jupiter's legacy that I thought was really interesting so in uh, the first two volumes, we had talked about the artwork. Um, 
and I loved the artwork in the first one. I talked about that, but uh, Trinket telling me, well, it changes a lot with a new artist. And I had not looked at anything from three and four. So I didn't know who the artist was. I didn't look at any of the things besides like the main covers, but not even that much. The minute I opened up volume three, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I know exactly who this is. And so his pen name is Frank Ketley. Um, and he has done the art for some of like the most famous runs of all time. Um, and his artwork is so like, it's so distinguished, distinguishable from the rest. Um, one of the ones that he's most famous for is All-Star Superman. Um, there's n such a comparison. The minute you see Chloe's face for the first time in the first panel, I was like, oh, that is definitely him. Because there's just, it's almost like, I can't even, it's, it left me speechless because the artwork is so beautiful in it. Um, but it was so nostalgic for me because it took me back to when I read All-Star Superman, one of the most famous Superman uh, books of all time. In addition to that, he's also done the artwork for another one of my series that I really like, which is, it's the Batman and Robin series from 2009. Um, but the difference with this Batman and Robin series is it's Dick Grayson as Batman and Damian Wayne as Robin. Um, and that's where I read it. I'm actually, everyone knows that I, I'm a huge DC fan. As far as Batman goes, I'm more of a Nightwing fan myself. So I know a lot about Batman, but mainly because I read Nightwing stuff. Um, and so I love this run because you see him take on the role of Batman um, and again, Frank Ketley does the artwork for it. He also does some work on a modern comic. He doesn't do the, he's not the main artist because that's Mitch Gerard's, uh, but he does um, some inking for a, a new comic by uh, Tom King, which is Strange Adventures. And he does some of the artwork for that too, the ink in that. Um, if you haven't looked up art for Strange Adventures, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, Tom King and Mitch basically said the goal for this, this book is to just make it beautiful. Um, so again, I think uh, I want to talk about that because I think Jojo did a good job last week talking how Mark Miller has a good resume. Um, I'm more usually lenient towards the, the, the writers. I can name probably 20, 30 writers, artists, five, maybe 10. Um, so I don't notice things as much. But when I, when I opened this book, it was pretty apparent who it was. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the artwork. And uh, hopefully this doesn't kind of set my expectations too high for other comics that I read. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty mesmerizing. And I was just looking at some of those Superman panel um, for the Superman All-Star. And I'm like, like the one where he's flying over the horizon, basically, it's just like, oh man, that is, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're trying to draw a comparison between the Utopian and Superman, I mean, how better to do it than take the most iconic Superman artist of all time and have him draw him in several of these same poses, which is just incredible. Pete and I have had several conversations about how, which, which can you, which can you get away with bad writing or bad drawing? Yep. And, and I think we've come to the same conclusion that the writing needs to be good, but I, I have to say, I, I'm going to pick up all-star Superman solely based on the art. And that, that says something. Um, did you guys have something I like to do too, is pick a favorite panel from like kind of each book and that's the cover art's great but sometimes the cover art's so much and it doesn't necessarily indicate anything that actually happened in the book did you guys have a favorite panel from from this series i think for me there is a couple but i'll do the one that to me was the most unexpected um but that kind of drew out the image in my head like really let my imagination run wild and that's when um is it Barnabas Wolf 
kind of the hunter for Walter and Brandon, who's got the ability to kind of change the, the molecules around him. And he's interviewing this, basically this office lady, right? Um, see if I can pull yeah. it up really quick. And he's just asking her questions like, hey, I see that you haven't like paid your energy. Oh, it was Joan Wilson. So I've, I've seen that you haven't paid your energy bills and she's got pretty good excuse. And he's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And he's kind of on the hunt for superheroes. And then he's just like, okay, I think we're done here. Like you're obviously not a superhero. And then he kind of the punchline is I just changed the molecules in here for the air to be toxic. And she looks around and everyone in her office is just on the ground dead. And that's when she realizes she's like, oh crap, right? And then she just jumps through the, the skyscraper and then just turns into this giant woman and she's, her name is Skyscraper. So in my mind, I was just like, man, and obviously the, the drawings and the panels really drew it for me in my mind. I was just like, I can't wait to see this when they do it live action. <laughs> I think it was just like such a cool twist. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they adapt it for sure. They did another um, one with her when they were showing the Supermax and it doesn't really look that unusual because panels can scale and get bigger and smaller. But then you look a little closer and you see that there's hundreds of superheroes in, in the Supermax and then there's her and she's super huge and her cell is just like, 4,000 times the size of everyone else's. So they did a lot of really cool thing panel things panel to panel um, that they took some risks that I really liked. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I'm actually, so I've got a few. Um, most impactful is Utopian on the ground dead with his skull blown up, basically. Um, that's the most impactful. Favorite's a, a, an interesting word choice. I don't think I can call that my favorite one. Uh, I'm actually reviewing them. And the one that is, most visually impactful to me as far as just like beauty goes. It's when they're in the big battle um, and Brandon and Chloe are fighting and Chloe starts using her telekinesis and they start fighting and there's this huge, basically tsunami wave um, and she screams to break it up. Um, yep, <laughs> there it is. We both pulled it up on our iPads and phones. That scene to me, um, I'm a huge, uh, I always love water. I think the idea of water in fights is super cool. So seeing that huge wall of water um, and then her breaking it up. I think I stole trays though, but that's definitely the most visually impactful. Thing. <laughs> yeah, well, lucky for you, I had two. Uh, that was a great one though. How you just see the, the sonic boom cut through the tsunami and basically punch a hole through it was super sick. This other one I thought was cool. There's nothing super special. I would argue there's not even like a superpower on display. You just have Sky Fox basically Spartan kicking Walter, <laughs> which is so cool when you think about it because that's what 50 60 years in the making the guy yeah. stole his wife how long ago you know i mean that's pretty awesome and he just he makes the commitment to come back and he helps the team and you know, the whole world has basically abandoned him because he didn't reflect their exact type of uh, heroics and for him to come back and basically kind of turn it around uh, for however long that ends up being a comeback which again another awesome risk they took i just love the risk that they felt like they were able to take and the plot twist and it was a very smart book overall but yeah just seeing that kind of closure i guess on uh on on their feud from the 40s or the 50s so really cool stuff uh highly cool. recommend it we've spoiled a lot of things but hopefully just giving you more to look forward to okay yeah i think i think that's all i got to say for jupiter's legacy we'll be talking about it again soon once uh 
once the movie the show comes out we can kind of compare our notes and see uh, basically how they adapt things um, but I think the next thing that we really want to break down is House of M um, that was on our other another reading that we wanted to do this last week um, so yeah let's go ahead and let's talk about that a little bit I can start out with my thoughts on it um, overall I have really mixed feelings on it um, I think part of it is because I'm coming out of it out of WandaVision one of the biggest surprises to me that was a positive surprise is I had always heard how much um, they compare WandaVision to H of M. And I'm not sure that's necessarily just um, because they are very different. Uh, I think they pulled a lot from House of M um, for WandaVision. But last time Trey asked us, do you guys think we're going to get House of M? And I was like, well, no, I think it was in WandaVision. After reading it more in depth, I mean, I've seen things here and there, but you know, I'm more DC. I don't read that much Marvel unless it's a few of the characters I really like, like Daredevil. Um, but anyways, reading House of M, I was like, no, they, they didn't do a lot of this. Like they could still, they could still do this on a wider scale. Um, they did do some of the, some of the stories, um, but not, not in nearly enough that they could have done, uh, which is fine. They weren't trying to do, they wanted to keep it different. Um, one note that I wanted to make that I really liked. Um, so in it, we have these heroes living a perfect reality. Um, they wanted to basically create a perfect reality for them, um, but we know it's all fake. Um, one of the things that it made me remind, it reminded me so much of is a very classic Superman story. Um, named, it's Superman Annual 11 in 1985 by Alan Moore, um, with the main villain being Mongol. And he finds, I think it's, a, it's like an alien organism called Black Mercy. And you put it on someone's head and it makes them live in a dreamlike state while keeping their body in like a catharsis or a paralytic state. Um, and so in that they're living a dream of a perfect life. So they're dying on the outside, but on the inside they're living a perfect life. And you see kind of Clark Kent and Cal L, basically Cal with a perfect life on Krypton. Um, and then he wakes up from it and realizes it was all fake and he has to deal with that. Um, and I, I felt like it was very similar uh, to see these big characters in Marvel and then West DC with that comparison. Um, having to come out of these dreamlike states and realize what reality is actually like. The way I saw it, it wasn't necessarily like the new Wonder Woman movie where it's just like, I wish, right? That was kind of like the secret word and then it, it, would, it would come true. It was literally Wanda creating a world, a reality with a big bang and everything that led up to a life to experiences that were very much real not just a dream or just a moment yeah. and I think you really feel for Peter Parker yep. I mean knowing exactly what he's gone through and then the way he finds out is he's with his uncle Ben with MJ or sorry with uh, Gwen Stacy and with his aunt right Aunt May and so that's just got to be such a gut punch to realize in your reality, all three of them are gone. Right. And so you really feel for him and it kind of just puts into context the, the decision that they make to, to go after Wanda. Right. And so what I really liked about not, not only that, where the, the drama and kind of the grief and, and sorrow that goes with it and then being able to to still make the decision of well this isn't real life this isn't actually what happened so regardless of the consequences we have to change this um, I really enjoyed it as well as far as storytelling 
just because there are a lot of twists. You, you first think that Magneto's behind it, then you think that it's purely Wanda, and then you come to find out that it was actually Quicksilver that was kind of the, the catalyst to this whole thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't out of being power hungry or anything. It was really just wanting him to protect his family. Right, him and Wanda have gone through so much, and that's the one thing that I wish WandaVision showed a little bit more. Like, it definitely showed her grief. Obviously, she lost Vision, she lost her brother, but in this comics, you come to understand that she was abandoned by Magneto, and then when Magneto did turn up, they just find out that he's using them, and then she just loses everyone, right? And she finds out that her two sons are pieces of this soul of a Mephisto. She's, I mean, her world is absolutely shattered. And so I feel that it's a lot more relatable to House of M than it was um, to Wanda Maximoff in WandaVision. And that's the one thing I wish that we could have gotten more of. Obviously that couldn't happen because you couldn't include Magneto in any of the previous um, MCU movies. but yeah, overall, I really, really enjoyed it. I think you hit on a lot of good points about um, the way Wanda was portrayed in WandaVision versus in House of M. Uh, I didn't do as much prequel reading. I think if you read House of M 1 through 8, I, I hope I'm not just being kind of emotionally barren here, but I don't know that they gave me that much to go off of as far as what to feel for Wanda. I didn't quite have the background information of like, or maybe I just missed it of her children being pieces. I know she seemed to be like creating them and upset that they weren't real, but she's very easily manipulated. Um, I mean, at one point they say, you know, basically the X-Men and the Avengers are arguing over where, whether or not they should kind of put her down, you know, in, in harsh terms. And, and she's basically like, I think they should. And then you find out that Pietro kind of like talks her out of it. And at the end, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm mad at you, daddy. Like, this is all because you care about mutants. So no more mutants. And I was kind of like, this is not an adult. Like, I don't know how she was in the comics prior to this. And if this was a regression into a kind of a, an emotionally immature state. But the Wanda that we get from like episodes one through eight is... Um, not super relatable. She's kind of like a nuclear weapon in the form of a child, which I think is kind of the idea. And I think that's what breaches the question that they have is like, should we put her down? And it's like, I think it was, I'm not a big Wolverine fan, but it's amazing when Wolverine is arguing with Captain America, I become the biggest Wolverine fan on the planet. Yeah. Captain America <laughs> just is like, you are so unrelatable. Like have a conversation. He's like, so Spider-Man and even Spider-Man, sometimes it's cute when he comes across as a kid. And sometimes I'm like, like, maybe you just shouldn't be here. You know, this is the <laughs> they're talking. And they're like, Peter's like, well, if my powers go haywire, should I just trust you to put me out? And Wolverine's like, yeah, you can count on me. And I'd like you to do the same if it happens to me. It's like, I'm not sure why more of these heroes with their greater sense of responsibility don't make the connection that you are dangerous and kind of understand that they need to be kept in check and if the only way to keep you in check is to to take you out it seems like it's a harder decision for a lot of them than i would like it to be i guess i'll put it that way yeah i think off of that one of the things that i would i texted these guys right after i read that section with cap and i was like you know i used to be a cap fan i've never hated him so much 
Like, I get the idea of the moral responsibility to, like, not kill somebody. It's like, she's killed a lot of people. And, like, I'm not saying you just, I'm not saying you take her out, but I'm saying there probably should be a conversation about this. Like, I like Wolverine's take on it where he's like, no, like, if I go haywire, I hope you guys have the decency to put me down before I kill everyone. Like, I don't think that's that hard of a question to ask. Well, even before Wolverine, I mean, the fact that Professor X is the one yeah. that's suggesting this, that's got to be a sign, right? Like, yeah. if, if there's but no any- cap knows more cap knows all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't know to what you were saying, Trey, as far as uh, WandaVision, or sorry, as far as, uh, as the Scarlet Witch goes, I think you do have to go back to, I think the series before was uh, Avengers Disassemble. And that kind of is the the start of her decline. So I think you have to read it. I mean, it's a lot of reading, but I think you have to go into that to kind of understand how long this kind of down spiral takes her before she even gets to House of M. Um, Because in, in House of M as well, you just like Peter Parker, Hawkeye finds out he's not even supposed to be alive, right? Mm-hmm. And it's directly related to to Wanda just kind of going haywire in one of the missions that they had in Avengers Disassemble. So I think going back to talking about the beauty of Jupiter's legacy is that you just have that and you can just appreciate that. Yeah. This is this is kind of the opposite where it's almost too much, right? You have to go back. You do have to go back and read Avengers Disassemble to better relate to, to Wanda. And then you have to read House of M. And then after House of M, um, I think, what was it called, Trey? Messiah's Complex. After House, oh, after House of M is uh, Messiah Complex. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a long, I mean, House of M was long, right? And so this is a, this is definitely a story that really reaches across all kinds of, of planes and stuff. And I think that's kind of what WandaVision was, um, was creating just this, this chaotic mess that can just be prolonged and kind of suck all of these other stories into it. I think, I think it's a great point. I think I, I made an effort to, because I simply didn't have the capacity to go back and, and figure out where to start with, like you said, the, the comics that pre, pre, preluded it. Um, I kind of chose to evacuate it in, or evaluate it in a vacuum and say, okay, if I'm, we're introducing someone to this, let's say they take our yeah. application and they read this. Okay, I think that's an issue with this story is that she's not relatable enough to have this really big discussion of like what to do with her. And I think you're absolutely right. If you do go back or you've watched the TV show, you realize that she's a valuable member of the team and she's awesome and she's mature. But if in this kind of eight episode snapshot, she's, not really that and that's and that's a sad kind of de-evolution for her character but it applies to more than just one character i mean if you look at captain america if this is your introduction to captain america <laughs> let, let me just say i hope it's not because you would i don't think anyone would really feel compelled to read more about him which is funny because i there's a panel i kind of held out as one of my favorites that i was going to bring up scott summers as cyclops is kind of viewed in a similar light as captain america he's constantly called the boy scout um it's kind of unjustified though i mean he does kind of toe that line of trying to do the right thing all the time but he does also kind of do what it takes to get the job done and he kind of goes on this monologue when they've put the team together to go stop wanda and he basically goes i want to talk to you guys for a second 
I've basically been leading the X-Men since I was a teenager and I've prided myself on restraint. Taking a moral high ground was where, where violence was concerned. But today there's no other way to say it. If we fail here, we lose everything. Um, basically, I want you to put your moral boundaries on hold. We have to do what is necessary to protect our species and the world. And, and it is what it is. And even if Cyclops lives his other, the other 99% of his comic book life echoing Captain America, for him to have like one moment like this where he said the stakes are too high, we need to do what's necessary. That goes a long way with me as far as him being a character with depth and being, well, at least that one time he was willing to sacrifice his kind of arbitrary set of morals and, and do what needed to be done. And I, I really liked that as far as something positive that came out of an eight, an eight episode arc where all the mutants were basically eliminated. That was like one of the few positives, I think was kind of this, this evolution of leadership from Cyclops. Yeah, I think that's great. And just to like wrap this up with talking about like the introduction to Marvel. Um, one of the things I think, I think, especially we get the, the perspective of Jojo here with Jupiter's legacy, reading it self-contained. Great. You can read the whole story and understand it with comics. Usually it's not that clean. Um, it's pretty hard to pick up somewhere and without any context of what happened previous to that story and just pick it up and go. Um, and so I think, uh, with house of M as a standalone, I don't know if it works that well because it doesn't have that, that connection, uh, that a new, a new reader would have. Um, but unfortunately got to start somewhere <laughs> and so it's one of those things where it's like you got to find those stories that you're intrigued by and, and read as much of them as you can um do you guys have any other comments you want to make about wandavision or about house of n i think in that case to transition just for the last few minutes here while we're closing up it uh we had a big release today i have been off of social media today because i do not want any more spoil spoilers than Zack snyder himself has already given um, <laughs> But uh, Snyder Cut came out today. Uh, we haven't watched it yet. Uh, I was tempted to throw it on at work today, but decided against it because I didn't have four free hours at work. No, uh, I enjoy it. You waited long enough. Watch it. Give it your full attention. Exactly. So been fighting for it. But yeah, we kind of want to go through some expectations. Um, I'll let you guys first. Do you have anything that you want to talk about or something you're excited for with this? Well, so I watched Batman versus Superman last night, and it was actually the first time I watched it, and I watched the unlimited edition, so the longer version. Wait, so you had not seen it before? Like I hadn't seen it at oh. all before. And wow. the reason why I didn't watch it is because I just heard a lot of people were disappointed in it. And then when I watched Justice League and Aquaman, especially Aquaman, I was just like, I will never get those two and a half hours back of my life. That was <laughs> So I didn't like it. So I was just like, well, there's no point in watching Batman versus Superman. Everyone that I've talked to has said that it was terrible. But um, I was excited for Snyder Cut. So I was just like, well, I need to I need to watch this. And I should at least watch the, the full version of it, um, which I did. And I actually really, really enjoyed it. Like, it's not my favorite, but it was still pretty good. And we kind of talked about this last night. Uh, my biggest beef with it was Jesse Eisenberg's rendition or portrayal of Lex Luthor. Like, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about Lex Luthor, but just watching it, I just was feeling more Joker vibes than I was this super genius kind of supervillain. And so that kind of turned me off. And then the hypocrisy at the end where he's like celebrating 
the that dark seed is coming and like these other superhumans are coming to basically destroy earth when he wanted superman to die for the same exact reason so to me it was just yeah it just kind of didn't really make sense but as far as superman's character batman's character i thought it was really well and both characters were fleshed out really well you see both sides you understand both sides it's got me more excited for being able to watch the snyder cut I think I'll, I'll have to rewatch it because a lot of what you're saying you liked about it was like a direct contrast to what the problems I had with it, which I believe too, because I am, um, including Ryan Reynolds himself, I believe I'm the sole fan of the Green Lantern movie. And, and that's another movie that I watched the extended cut and it benefited from, okay, you can just tell that the scenes that were cut were the ones that would have connected the dots that most people had problems with. Um, so for a while, I've known that Batman vs Superman extended probably fixed those problems. I even pulled it up on my phone last night and was like, I don't have time to watch a three hour movie. So I'm just going to have to take your word for it. Assume that it does a better job. I really like, I hate to say this. I don't love Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. I love his costume. That's like my favorite on-screen costume. That's the best one. Batman. I will say I'm very hyped for the Batman and I've watched that trailer several times. So I think, I think Robert Pattinson's probably going to surpass this and maybe, maybe there's, there's a potential to even surpass Christian Bale, but as far as what's currently out and I've been able to watch, I really like him and his use of his technology and his suit and all of that as Batman and um, Alfred is awesome as well. Um, expectations. I've seen some trailers. I've seen some other stuff. There's look like there's a green lantern in one scene at one point. I read he was cut. Um, Excited to see what role Martian Manhunter has. Um, I was really excited for uh, Cyborg. I'm a little concerned that he might not be involved anymore because there's been a lot of things kind of him going back and forth with management over at Warner Brothers. So um, was excited to see how he kind of built his base to then go off into the DC extended universe. And I'm a little concerned that that, that maybe is kind of going to end here. Um, overall, I, I'm excited to see what they say there's two hours of footage that was that's in this cut that yeah i mean that's a lot that's a whole movie um i i do think that people are overexcited about how much dark side's going to be involved i think he's still going to be in the background but you're going to see him and he's probably going to be like directing stuff i don't think there's going to be any direct confrontation with him though um, but those are my big my big expectations there's a couple new characters and maybe a little more conversational stuff that, that develops the, you know, Justice League, why we're working together type thing. Yeah, I think I'll, to close it off, I think what I really am excited for as a DC fan um, is just to get more dialogue, um, more setup for the Justice League. That's what was really missing in, in the other one. And I watched Batman vs Superman again and actually loved it. Um, I really felt like they did a really good job with the Trinity, with Batman, Superman, and with Wonder Woman. Um, Jesse Eisenberg is another story, but with Justice League, um, I'm excited to see them flesh out these characters more, um, especially I'm excited to see more Barry Allen. Um, so that's really my biggest thing is as a DC fan, I mean, we've been fighting for this for years um, and I'm stoked to see them really all in all, give Snyder his chance to give his movie. If it's not great, I don't have expectations that it's going to change the problems of the DCU, um, but I do have the expectation that it's going to be a lot better than the original and it's going to make um, a big impact and it's going to be great. And I think reviews are mixed so far. I think people have said it's good, but not, not nothing groundbreaking, but we'll have to see. Um, real quick in closing, we've also got Falcon and Winter Soldier tomorrow. I personally am excited. 
Um, all the issues that I have with Captain America, I think are going to be dressed somewhat with a new character called U.S. Agent. We did a snapshot of him um, on Instagram that's going to be coming out on Saturday morning. Um, basically introduces uh, what if Captain America took his role and took kind of an by any means necessary, so which will create a nice kind of contrast with our traditional Captain America. Um, any other thoughts there, guys? No, I think we'll we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, we've got some good things coming up, some more comics to review. Um, to give the, the audience an idea, next week our big comics to, comics to review are going to be uh, Death Metal and then Daredevil. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to be working on this week. And then obviously talk about Winter Soldier, talk about our thoughts um, with Snyder Cut. And if you haven't seen it yet and you have Disney+, Plus, check out what's called the Marvel Studios Legends. They do a brief kind of character highlight reel of the characters as they come up in these shows so they've done wanda vision falcon winter soldier and the one i think just came out today was zemo and those are some of the kind of the coolest things that i think marvel's even put out they're just awesome little seven minute highlight reels of uh of these characters on screen moments so all right thanks guys we'll see you next week see you next week good i'm good guys